0: You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice, just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your
1: doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. Zero dollar delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi,
0: Mandy. How are you? I wanted to meet your enthusiasm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, every now and then I get a little burst of excitement. There you go. Uh, Enjoy that burst. Um, Mandy, we have been recording for a while now today. Um, Yes. We've been talking to each other for a while, so I feel like I know how you're doing. Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm doing wonderful good um so this week we originally planned on having a week off but we haven't taken a week off all year which is kind of crazy we normally at least have one off by now but then we decided what the heck why not uh release one of our patreon episodes on the main feed so you kind of get an idea of what is over on patreon and then also you get an episode this week even though that wasn't originally the plan yeah Yay! So, yay! Yeah, so take notice that we recorded this for Patreon, so it is a little more off-topic. It's a little more all over the place. It is, um, it's just more low-key. It's a little more relaxed. It's a little more relaxed. That's exactly it. And if you want to find more Patreon episodes, you can go to patreon.com slash Podcast. And without further ado, here's this week's episode. Hello, everyone. Hi. That was that was weird. That was weird. No wonder you hate starting the Patreon ones. That's Cause what do you say? Hello everyone. Hello, I know what do you
1: say. I feel like we should move towards more of like this what do you call this? What do you call this that we're doing right now? Where you just start talking
0: and you just let it happen? Oh, uh, it's the way that? I write in text. It's, <laughs> yes. it's free flowing or whatever, where by the end of it, I'm like, I'm not rereading that. <laughs> it sounds crazy. <laughs> like, figure out what I'm saying. I can't yeah. help Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have
1: that solid intro for the main show that we do every single week without fail. We decided we're never changing it, but mm. we have never had a patreon introduction for the patreon bonus episode so no I don't know.
0: you know what somebody today uh on patreon commented that they loved our intros and so you know what we're just going to do this with confidence this Perfect. was our intro this was our intro This Mandy, was how, are, how are you doing this week Mom. i'm doing well you know it's been a long month i feel like it's just been a month
1: of me just having like a not illness illness i don't know i know yeah. you ju- you know we've just been talking Both about how you've mm-hmm. had the same thing and um, yeah, I mean, I'm not sick, but I'm just
0: not 100% either. So it's like just you, like. Ugh. Yeah, it's like at some point I'd like to stop coughing and like producing things with my cough. <laughs> right. Like at some point it would be really nice not right. to have that happen. Yes. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Yeah. And you know what? I'm going to sound like you since this is like a switching of the worlds kind of thing right now. I can't believe it's almost April. I was writing something out that was April and I had a Mandy moment where I was like, How are we doing this? I know.
1: I thought the same thing because I have – I was looking at my calendar and I have something scheduled for April the 16th and earlier today I was like, oh, so I still have like a month before that. And then I was like, wait a
0: minute. I only have like two and a half weeks I know. before then. Like, what I, am I doing? I told my son he was starting soccer. I'm like, it's in a few weeks. And then I was like, I should look in the email to see where it is exactly. And next thing I know, it's next Wednesday. And I was like, well, this is, I really <laughs> was a different person when I signed up for this. Right. I, what I, was
1: thinking. <laughs> I had no idea April was so close. <laughs> I
0: know.
1: <laughs> yeah. And April is a pretty busy month for me, actually. I have a, like, a lot of people with birthdays that are super important oh, yeah. in April, my mom, my sister, and my husband, um, and that's like... All the important people, you know, that's enough important people hurtful, for one for one hurtful. month.
0: <laughs> you, you know what I mean. You Melissa. said all the important people in and my you even my family. Eyes like this. <gasps> I meant in my, my family. Thought I was family. I'm just kidding. Um,
1: I mean, and obviously my kids are also important, and they're not born in <laughs> April, so
0: you know I'm what? Just, Me um, your, insulting everyone. <laughs> your son and I share a September birthday. We share it's the true. month, so I'll, I'll 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 think of him this month. So, Maddie, are you ready yeah. to get in this month's episode? I. Truly am. <laughs> oh, good. Normally she's lying today. We're telling the truth. Really <laughs> We're both <am>. excited. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to start off this episode. Normally Mandy takes the lead in the episodes, and you'll see why almost immediately <laughs> I'm the one that starts this off. Because Mandy cannot deliver this type of introduction. (laughs) Well, not in a believable way. I think you're great at, uh, you know, doing our scripts and writing them and saying them. But this will not sound honest coming out of your lips. (laughs)
1: That's very true.
0: (laughs) So when we think of New York City in the 1990s, many of us picture things that we've seen on TV. Maybe you mentioned Carrie Bradshaw's uh, apartment in Sex and the City, or perhaps the most famous New York City apartment of all time, that of Jerry Seinfeld. Mandy, real quick, my background today is an apartment from New York City. Would you like to say which one you thought it was? It's from Seinfeld. But which one
1: did you think it was? (laughs) I don't know, friends.
0: <laughs> yeah, your guess was friends. So uh, so if, if I need to go any further on why I'm doing this part, now you know. So this iconic pale blue couch in the middle facing the TV set, I can't do all my pointing. There's a bike hanging up back there in the corner and the kitchen is full of cereal. You can see all the cereal in the cereal boxes up there. But for many of us who grew up outside of New York, this is kind of the New York we know, or at least I know. Um, however, today's story doesn't take place at Kramer's favorite hangout spot. It takes place about 12 blocks south of Jerry's apartment in the Upper East Side of Manhattan. The Upper East Side of Manhattan has histor- historically been one of the most affluent neighborhoods in all of New York. It's noted for its gorgeous architecture and their upscale boutiques, and you'll often find the Luans and the Sonia's in the area as well. And these are really Ooh. just jokes for me. Yeah, these are Real Housewives of New York Ooh. ladies. yeah, <laughs> Hurtful, Ooh, she. but I'll allow it.
1: <laughs> so known as the Silk Stocking District, the streets are lined with beautiful townhouses, expensive stores, and doormen at every building. The Upper East Side has a taste for luxury, and luxury has a taste for the Upper East Side. I would never know. I have never even been to New York, so... I didn't make it to the Upper East put Side. myself there. Yeah, I can't even... Can't even picture it.
0: I went there and it was really cool, but I like, no matter where I was, it was like, she's from Florida. Nobody asked me. They (laughs) do. Right. (laughs) It's very obvious.
1: So it goes without saying that this was not an area that was really used to hearing the buzzing of bullets flying. Um, Even in the late 1990s, the Upper East Side was considered one of the safest areas in the entire country. However, on October 23rd, 1990, when three gunshots rang out in broad daylight throughout the picturesque streets of the Upper East Side, it didn't really feel that way. It was 10 a.m. and George Cogan was coming back with groceries to make brunch for his girlfriend, Mary Louise. So this couple was living together in 28-year-old Mary's luxurious home. As she waited in the home, the couple shared for George to return with all these ingredients that he had for brunch. Mary Louise heard a commotion on the street, and that's when she looked out the window and saw an image that would haunt her for the rest of her life.
0: The doorman was the first to rush to George's side as he was sprawled across this busy yet peaceful street. George, age 49, had been shot in the back with a large caliber pistol. The doorman immediately called for an ambulance, and George was rushed to the New York hospital, where he died a few hours later at 5.15 p.m. This was especially shocking, as George was actually a fixture in the area, and he seemed to be someone that really had no enemies. Investigators immediately began to look for clues, although physical evidence at the crime scene was limited. Besides two bags of bloody groceries, investigators' only other clue was a deformed bullet that had passed through George and back through his chest. Thanks to this, police immediately knew that the weapon used was a 44 caliber re- revolver. A .44 caliber revolver is a really big gun. It's one that was mainly used by the mafia at the time. Investigators said there's really no reason for someone to use this type of gun unless the plan is to kill someone. As
1: the first one on the scene, the doorman was also the first person that investigators talked with, but he hadn't really seen anything that morning. According to him, he ran out to the street after he heard what sounded like a car backfiring, which, okay, have you ever heard that sound like, you know, and it sounds kind of like gunshots, like that car backfiring? Mm -hmm. And then, of course, my husband or somebody will be like, oh, that was just a car backfiring. And I'm like, I never with confidence believe
0: what it is. Yeah,
1: I'm like, it sounded a lot like gunshots. So that's what um, he says that he thought he heard. The police go on to canvass the rest of the neighborhood to see if anybody happened to see anything out of the ordinary that day. So this woman who was getting in her car that morning said that she did see a man in his late 30s or maybe early 40s that was wearing a green baseball cap and he was running west towards 3rd Avenue. And this same man also reported running through um, Central Park, or he was also reported through running through Central Park, rather. So Mary Louise, who, as we said, was George's girlfriend, was also questioned while she was waiting outside of George's hospital room. At the time of his death, she had been really the closest person to him. But when she was told that he had died while, you know, she was at the hospital, she was too hysterical to really say anything, and the police made the decision to just let her go home to her family in Long Island. Of course, that didn't mean that she was completely off the hook, though. The police still had to cover all their bases, and that's when they decided to look closer at Mary Louise. And it didn't take them long to figure out that not only had George been married when he started this relationship with Mary Louise, but Mary Louise herself was also in a serious relationship with a psychiatrist at the New York Hospital.
0: The police had to wonder, could the psychiatrist be responsible for the murder of the man whose girlfriend he had uh, had left him for? How do you say that? He, he <laughs> was left by a woman who got a new boyfriend. She got a new dude. Yes, that's how I'm going to say it. She got a new dude. So police <laughs> got in contact with the psychiatrist. They interviewed him, and he had an alibi and really no motive whatsoever to kill George Cogan. At this point, he's moved on from this relationship with Mary Louise, and he's already living with another woman. So police believed his story and thought he really had nothing to gain by murdering George. The next thing investigators did was a background check on George Kogan, and that's when they turned their focus on his estranged wife, Barbara Kogan. When police first tried to speak to Barbara, Barbara, her attorney actually informed them that she was under sedation after losing her husband, and she would get back to them later. So police find this suspicious because George was actually in the hospital for several hours the day that he died. Barbara knew this, and she didn't make any sort of effort to actually go see George in the hospital the day that he died. But her response to this was to say that she couldn't bear to see her husband in that state. And some people are like that. I know people that will not see people on their deathbed. and yeah, that's just for sure. Things, so I get it. So she claimed that she was falling apart at home during this time. And she was really afraid to even go out in public. So she claims no one knew who, you know, shot George. So she doesn't know, does this person actually want to shoot her as well? She said she feared for her safety, which doesn't sound so crazy. And police found out that the couple had been married for 30 years. I mean, they had been married forever, really. And although they were separated at the time of George's murder, Barbara wasn't really giving investigators any reason to think that she could be the one behind George's murder.
1: George had grown up in Puerto Rico, and he was born into a prosperous family that owned a chain of department stores. They were a tight-knit Jewish family that supported each other and loved one another fiercely. George was raised in Puerto Rico, and it was known that he was always planning to take over the family business when he got older. In the 1950s, he left his family home, and he moved to New York to attend NYU. It was at this time that he met his future bride, Barbara, who was a student at Bernard at the time. The couple quickly fell in love and got married, and George really quickly swept Barbara down to the island of Puerto Rico, where this couple would spend the next 25 years together living a glamorous life. While the couple lived this life of opulence, they also collected real estate and even dabbled in the casino industry, which sounds
0: like it could be pretty money, fruitful. Money, money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the couple stayed really busy, and they were traveling all the time. Barbara loved being a socialite in San Juan, and the couple were really a big deal on the island. The Kogans eventually expanded their family with the addition of their two sons, who they raised in Puerto Rico. The boys later spoke out about how much they loved their dad, and he, you know, always was a really great father to them, always wanted to spend time with them. And in 1986, with the kids having grown up and left the nest, the couple decided to sell, sell their interest in the Ramada San Juan Hotel and Casino, and moved back to Manhattan, where they made the decision to open up a high-end antiques shop. The shop, called Kogan & Company, catered to the rich and famous in New York City. The couple really continued to live their lavish lifestyle, and they picked out a fancy apartment on the Fifth Avenue to make their new home. They were also really excited to get this business up and running. And so for the next few years, they really poured themselves into running the antique shop
1: And while business came naturally to George, he and Barbara really had no experience in running something like an antique shop. The shop floundered and even began um, garnering bad press after it had gotten robbed. The Kogans were not really ones for failure, so instead of just closing up shop and living off the money they had already amassed in Puerto Rico, they decided to hire a public relations firm with the hope of gaining a little bit of positive press. And that was when George Cogan met Mary Louise Hawkins, this beautiful blonde woman who's 20 years younger than him. So Mary Louise wasn't really somebody who needed this job at this PR firm. Um, She was a wealthy socialite who graduated from Brown University. So it's not like I have to have this job. Right. And she said that when she first met George, she was instantly put at ease because he reminded her of her father. But later on, their relationship progressed and passed this professional, you know, father-daughter
0: relationship thing. How do you, how do you get past that thing? I like that my I don't face know. is
1: frozen there. But, if yeah. I ever think that someone reminds me of my dad or I can think of them as a father figure, like, my chances of ever being attracted to them are, like, zero. Because that's just so weird.
0: Yeah, know. that that's not something – I don't know how you how you get there from that initial feeling.
1: Yeah, that's a little – that's – That's different. So George began showing up at her door early in the morning. You know, he would bring her favorite coffee cake and then he would walk with her to work and tell her about how miserable that he was in his life. He told Mary Louise that Barbara berated him and, you know, said bad things about his looks and made him sleep in the spare bedroom.
0: So it didn't take long for George and Mary Louise to end up falling in love with one another while they were both still in these committed relationships with other people. It was early in 1989, just a few years after their move to New York, when George served Barbara with papers and moved into Mary Louise's apartment. He actually moved in with Mary Louise very quickly. It was about two weeks after they began their relationship. According to Mary Louise, George was really astonished that she wasn't going to the salon every day and spending tons of money. He said that Barbara spent about $100,000 a year on clothes, jewelry, and beauty treatments alone. I would be so hot if I could spend that kind of money. I know. $100,000 a year? $100,000 a year? I wouldn't have this face. I would have a whole new one, and I would (laughs) be doing really well. (laughs) You would get a face transplant. I would get a face transplant with that kind of money. (laughs) Right? That's like a Nicolas Cage, John Travolta thing. I'll be in the second movie. (laughs) Fine. But really, despite their age difference, um, the two were really in love, and they were planning actually to go to Italy to look at this property, to develop a new hotel, right around the same time of George's murder. As investigators interviewed Mary Louise about the murder, it was really obvious to them that her sadness was very genuine, which I don't know how you really say that because we hear the opposite all the time. How somebody reacts, I don't think you can put too much into that. Right. And so they knew that it really wasn't about the money with Mary Louise, though, because she had her own money. She really did love George, but like she didn't need him for anything. She She did fine on her own. In fact, the two were committed to this long-term relationship, and George was in the process of actually making Mary Louise a beneficiary to his will. But at the time of his death, he hadn't actually completed the process.
1: So Mary Louise really um, stood to gain nothing from George's death, and she knew that. When officers told her that she wasn't the beneficiary on his will, she really wasn't shocked at all because she knew that he hadn't finished the process. As you can imagine, this was a huge story. A millionaire being gunned down in broad daylight was a big deal and it found its way onto the front page of the New York Post. And this meant that the location and the people involved got a lot of attention from the general public. The couple's two boys, William and Scott, came back to New York to take care of their mom after their father had been killed. According to the sons, they found their mother completely lost, taking sleeping pills just to cope with what had even happened. You know, these boys had just lost their father, but now they were also tasked with taking care of their mom, who really needed them, too. Soon afterwards, the autopsy report came back, and the police were able to confirm that George died after being shot with two hollow-point bullets.
0: And if you're like me, knowing that he was shot with hollow-point bullets makes you kind of tense up. Because that's because these type of bullets are the ones that hit you, spread out all over your body, hitting numerous organs like No, 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 no. This is a mess. And so this leads police back to this idea that this could possibly be a mob hit. These bullets were also something that were usually associated with the mob. And so that's when police really start digging into Kogan's life. They become interested in why George would even need a publicist, why he and his wife needed a publicist at all. And that's when they realized it wasn't just to get more information out there about their business, but they also wanted it to look better after it had been robbed food allergies stink and if you or someone you love has food allergies i'm sure you are saying to yourself amen when my son was born we learned he had an egg allergy and at 12 months old he tried peanut butter for the first time and i immediately saw hives pop up all over his face Food allergies changed everything for us, from where we go, to what we eat, and even how we celebrate holidays. And we aren't alone. In fact, 1 in 12 babies will develop food allergies this year. But it doesn't have to be that way, thanks to Ready, Set, Food.
1: Now, thanks to evidence-based research, USDA guidelines, pediatricians, and allergists all agree that feeding babies small amounts of these common food allergens, like peanuts and eggs, consistently for 6 months or more, starting at 4 months of age, can actually prevent severe allergies
0: from developing by up to 80%. If I had to do it again all on my own, I'd want to introduce these foods earlier, but to be honest, I would have had no idea how. But Ready, Set, Food has you new parents covered. Ready, Set, Food was developed by an allergist and mom of two to make a way to introduce these foods to babies in a safe and easy way, starting with low doses of the most common food allergens like peanut, egg, and milk, starting right from the bottle. The result is giving parents a gently guided system of products that help take out the mess and stress of introducing new allergens. Parenting is hard enough, but Ready, Set, Food makes allergy introduction easy. Head
1: over to readysetfood.com slash momsandmurder and use code momsandmurder for 15% off your first order of Ready Set Food and give your child the best chance to
0: avoid developing a severe food allergy. With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast.
1: And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC.
0: Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home?
1: Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change.
0: Terms apply. A robbery in this antique store on the Upper East Side was really not a common crime. And after this happened, people were scared. There was even a rumor that maybe the store had been targeted. Maybe, you know, something else was going on there which is when the Kogans realized they needed some help with PR if his business was ever going to turn into something. It really pointed to something much darker. And through their investigation, police found George still had association with people in Puerto Rico, some of whom were not the most savory of characters.
1: So as far as business goes in Puerto Rico, George had sold his hotel for $11 million, but he only received $2 million from it. There was one individual that still owed him $9 million for the sale of the hotel, and his name was Abraham Torres. It was believed that he had ties with the Russian mob, so that's a little scary. Yeah. Um, But the police thought that maybe Abraham thought that if George was dead, he'd be free from this debt that he had to him. However, when the detectives actually spoke with Abraham Torres, they found out that George and Torres had worked out a payment plan and that Torres had been paying it on time. Everything had been documented and all these dealings they had done were really legitimate. So this ended up just being a dead end for investigators. But soon they discovered that George's net worth was much less than he actually projected. While George was aware of this fact, Barbara was not. So George was only worth about $2 million, which not really chump change, but Barbara and others thought that he had more like $10 million. So mm. when you only have $2 million and I thought you had $10 million, now you're looking kind of broke, right? I mean,
0: yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? I guess right? you can't like, get that
1: face transplant, but besides I guess, that, yeah. you're doing okay. It's not face of- transplant money for yeah. sure. <laughs> So he looked and acted like somebody um, who really had money to burn, you know, from the luxurious apartment that he and Barbara had to these designer wardrobe, you know, of clothing that he wore every day. So after George's death, the media came looking for Barbara, and Barbara didn't shy away
0: from them. Barbara was used to being this socialite, and she was the type of person that wanted to be in the paper. Not necessarily for something like this, but she still wanted to be in the paper. There was a lot of chatter out there that Barbara had been, been left for this younger woman. That was like big drama, big gossip. And it wasn't just chatter going among the Upper East Side. There were stories written that really did not put Barbara in a great light. Barbara eventually agreed to talk to the New York Post so that she could have direct communication with who she considered to be her neighbors, who were most likely the ones that were spreading these rumors. So she stated in the article that she had forgiven Mary Louise for the affair with George, and she just wanted privacy to live out her life with her two boys. So that runs in the paper, and George's funeral is eventually held on October 26, 1990, and it was a really big affair. It was a media circus, really. Everyone's there, and there's photographers taking pictures, and on that day, everyone's really trying to get Barbara just to say a few words. She was really hysterical and she needed help to get into the service and to leave the service that day.
1: So George was a very well-liked person. Um, He was somebody that had a lot of friends and was really just the cement and glue of his family. A few weeks after his funeral, Barbara received $4.3 million of George's life insurance policy and promptly turned off this mourning widow act that she had on before. The amount she received was tons more than what she would have received in a a divorce settlement. Although she um, had left the state, though, something about Barbara just wasn't sitting right with the detectives. So they were eventually able to subpoena her phone, and that's when detectives found out um, $160,000 on apartment renovations, $83,000 on travel, and millions more on miscellaneous items. Nickel and dime things here and there. Just yeah, I'm up, sure in her world, nickel, nickel and dime. Here. Yeah, here you go. It <laughs> means just five and a new diamond tennis bracelet or something sure. like that. Something you have to have for sure. But it was during her bankruptcy hearing that things got even stranger. At one point during the proceedings, she randomly threatened to take her own life. She said, quote, I am killing myself and you can be the executor of the estate of Barbara Kogan. She just said that to... Nobody in particular, I guess just anybody who happened to want
0: to claim that energy. It feels very Michael Scott whenever he just stands up and yells, I declare bankruptcy. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't mean anything. Now it is done. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So while Barbara is now broke, George's murder case was still stagnant until years later, when an individual is arrested in Westchester Westchester County for a bad check. Which is like so, such a random thing to be, you know, that this could get the ball rolling. So Carlos Piovanetti was facing 15 years in prison and he was trying to make a deal. He told investigators he actually had knowledge of this murder of a rich man in New York. And he gave them the name Manny Martinez. Basically said, this is who told me about it. I I can get you more information. So this guy, who is actually a realtor who rented space for Martinez told what he knew to the authorities based on comments that Martinez had really made during a casual meeting. So these two men are out for drinks in 1992. And after a lot of alcohol, Martinez actually confesses that he had been the one to set up the hit for George Cogan. He also said that Barbara Cogan was the one who ordered the hit. And if you're like, what's that connection? Well, Manny Martinez was actually Barbara's divorce attorney. Dun-dun-dun. Yeah. (laughs) So this was really just the kind of break that the case needed. So on September 15th, 1992, investigators had Carlos set up a call with Martinez to see if they could get more information to see if he could confess to the hit. So their meeting together had been years before, but he was actually, they were hoping that he would be able to get Manny to talk more about the hit, which you have to think, like, if this is something you've, like, hidden for years, you randomly talk about it to this guy and he calls. You'd think he'd be like, absolutely not. I'm not going to fall for this. This is like investigation 101. Right. I'm be quiet. <laughs> but not Martinez. He admits that he was involved in the hit, but he never mentions Barbara Cogan on the call. So that's whenever police decide to subpoena Manny's phone and they found 14 calls between Manny and this hitman during the murder. And his name is. The hitman, because we don't know what his name is. Yikes. Yeah, very yikes. So in 1995, the DA finally believed they had enough evidence to actually indict Manny Martinez for the murder of George Cogan. However, when the DA's office finally catches up with Martinez, they found he was unavailable.
1: And by unavailable, you mean he had been arrested in Mexico City under charges of defrauding a Mexican bank out of millions of dollars.
0: I mean, what was the summer of 2012 (laughs) if not defrauding the Mexican bank system?
1: (laughs) Have you really lived? (laughs) Um, And because of this charge that he was facing, um, he was potentially looking at 20 years in jail. The investigators were dying to get their hands on Manny but Mexican authorities refused to deport him until he had finished the sentence. Only then could he be extradited to the U.S. At this point, the police suspected Barbara Kogan, but they didn't have enough evidence yet for an arrest for her. They were able to link Manny to the hitman, the hitman, the, the one, man. Um, but they were not able to link Barbara to the hitman just yet. When questioned about her relationship with Manny Martinez, Barbara stated that she didn't know him, which is really really uh, funny considering he was her divorce attorney right which is also i feel like would be something that would be easy to find out that you had this all connection. of this
0: yeah 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 it would be like you filed for divorce or your husband filed for divorce it says here manny martinez was your attorney don't know him it's like the mariah carey meme right i don't know her <laughs> yeah i don't know her, <laughs> I don't know her. Uh, but
1: still all the police could really do was wait In 2007, nearly 17 years after the murder of George Kogan, the police received a call that Martinez was going to uh, be getting out of jail in Mexico, and they flew right down and escorted him to New York, and he was then put on trial for second-degree murder. Three days later, pretty quick trial, he was found guilty. After hiding out in Puerto Rico for almost 17 years, Barbara was finally arrested in November of 2008.
0: So there were many witnesses that took to the stand and said Barbara Cogan was the one that organized this hit of her husband and she was the one who paid for it. So Barbara ends up never actually going to trial. Um, She ends up pleading guilty to manslaughter in the first degree, conspiracy in the second degree, and grand larceny in the first degree. And detectives really think that the motive was a tale as old as time. The motive was greed. And so according to the detectives, Barbara and Manny realized a few weeks before this divorce was going to be finalized, she wasn't going to get as much money as she thought. That's whenever they found out that George wasn't worth nearly as much money as she Mm. believed him to be. So if George would have lived, they went through their divorce, all of that, she would have gotten around a million dollars. But if he died and she was still on his life insurance or his uh, beneficiary, she would get $4.3 million. So to her, he's worth more money dead than alive. Which is just so upsetting when you think you've got these boys right. who adore their dad and you're willing to take take that from them and spend all the money. It's not like she made good right. investments. She literally ends up in bankruptcy court seven years later. Just Right. So Barbara had Manny actually look for a hitman and set up the hit. Then Barbara takes the money that she gets and she lives it up while her sons are grieving the loss of their father. So at the hearing for Barbara, the boys didn't speak in her defense or against her. They were really just too distraught. Manny Martinez was ultimately convicted of second-degree murder and is serving his 25-year term. The hitman has never been tried, because we don't know who that is. Unless his name is hitman comma the in the white pages. Uh, uh, maybe we can that, up that way. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So Barbara Kogan um, did transitional services for almost her entire time in prison, and she claims to be a changed woman now. She said, quote, I used to be an angry and very bitter woman. Very, very, I mean, awful. Um, she also completed courses in both uh, the prison's anti-violence program called AVP and aggression replacement training ART. I love that good acronym. Um yeah, that's a good one. And, yeah, and she completed a cognitive behavior intervention aimed at reducing aggressive and violent behavior. So good for her she at least worked on herself. Barbara Cogan was released on parole. This was in July of 2020, so not that long ago, uh, after serving 12 years out of her 36-year prison sentence uh, for her part in her husband's death. As we said, they don't know who actually was the hitman, so it's kind of hard, I guess, to give her more time in prison. I don't really know.
0: Yeah, Um, I
1: don't know. know. Um, she said that she intends to enroll in Lehman College in the Bronx and volunteer at an outpatient facility while studying to gain certification in anti violence studies, which for a 77 year old woman, those are some amazing aspirations.
0: Let me tell you, at 77 years old, <laughs> just want to knit a sweater and watch TV. Absolutely. I want somebody to knit a sweater for me and turn on the TV for me. I want to do none right. of this. It's I, too much. I just too say many it. things. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So uh, nothing could actually be found about Barbara since her release in 2020. Um, but as for Mary Louise Hawkins, she changed her name and she moved to Europe three years after George's death.
0: So sad. Like you think of somebody like this who have been who's been so affected by somebody's murder to literally leave the country, change your name and start a new life. Didn't we just talk about somebody who did that? I swear. Or I listened to a podcast about it or. Oh, you know what it was? It was a couple weeks ago when we talked about Helmut, uh, his son, that changed his name and moved to London after his mom's murder. So you can see how somebody would just want to get away. Yeah, super sad, crazy story. Um, Still can't get over the hitman part. Like I feel like in a lot of our stories we have like a conclusion, and we know everybody that was involved. In this one, it's just the hitman.
1: But you know, this makes me think, and this is not going to make anybody sleep better tonight or make you feel Thanks better. Thanks so much. But I know this is totally one of my rabbit hole thoughts where I just like throw myself into a complete like anxiety spiral, right? When you think about things like this, because you're like, okay, they don't know who the hitman is. He's never been caught. So that just plays into my whole like how many people actually get away with murder because we Absolutely. don't know because they got away with it. So we don't really know, like, right? That's the whole point. So I'm like- you know, we were joking around before we started recording this. I was like, "Well, I guess this guy was a really good hitman," but it's like, that's actually legit. Like that he is was. how he was, right? Like he didn't get caught. I don't know who he is. Like somebody else went to jail for the crime, and now it's been a really long time. So that is crazy to think about because there are people who got away with murder that are walking among us, which is like
0: they literally. Good everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Yes. See you next month. <laughs> Sleep tight. <laughs> right? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I feel like I just thought there was going to be something like five years later. Or Manny right. turned in this well, person. they eventually found it.
1: Like, yeah, no, They don't know. They have no name. They have no leads. They really don't know.
0: Doesn't seem like anyone's even looking for him. I'm really glad my face is frozen like that. <laughs> I know. I
1: saw, and it was perfect for what you were talking about. I, I don't think – I mean, mean, who knows, though, because sometimes you find out like really years later, like, you know, we see those crazy cases that come up now and they're like, oh, this is like a 46 year case finally solved or some crazy thing like that. Like, yeah, but I don't know. This is the craziest thing. It's crazy to think that somebody out there got away with this murder.
0: So apologies for any weird audio stuff. We have literally been hacking up lungs the entire time i've had a it's cough drop in my choppy mouth
1: this time yeah it's, i know i feel so sorry for you all we did our best all right guys well that was it for uh your march patreon bonus episode we will be back next month
0: with a new story and where we'll be saying oh my gosh i can't believe it's already may and uh just be prepared for that
1: you're like future tripping so
0: bad right now like I, I can't even think about may i it's don't know. gonna be may So get ready. Stop. Uh, I know I'm starting early. All right. Bye guys. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the moms and murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com, where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.